I want you to pray with me as we get started today and just ask the Lord to speak to your heart. Would you do that? Would you ask the Lord to speak to you? It, It may not even come through something I say, but what's important is that the Lord is able to speak to you what he wants to tell you. So would you ask the Lord to open your heart to hear him? Would you ask the Lord to anoint you so that you can have the revelation to know Jesus? That's how the Holy Spirit teaches us by revelation. And Father, according to your word, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we thank you that you would give us spiritual understanding in the things that concern Jesus. And we pray, God, that you would speak to our lives today. Father, that you would help us understand the importance and the purpose that we have in this moment of time. That we're not here accidentally, but we're here on purpose. And Father, there's a, there's a great strategy that is in heaven to move upon this earth and to move through your church. And we pray that we would be able to be such a vital part of what you're going to do in the world. I thank you, Lord, that we are on this the side and in this kingdom that has already triumphed. And it will assume the throne very soon. And we give you all the glory and all of the honor in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I want you, if you will, to turn with me to Genesis 11. <clears throat> And we're going to read several verses of scripture here that we've read before. And I want to cover this again for your uh, remembrance of these things that I've been talking about. <clears throat> There's something that's happening in the very beginning of the Bible and in, in Genesis um, and in the heart of mankind that is a demonic influence. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. And we understand that the spirit of Antichrist is not a new spirit that's working in the world, but it's the age old spirit. That is working in the world and it's, it's, it's from the power of Satan to try to bring the world together as one. There is the desire in the devil to have a one world government, to have a one world religion, to have a one world fiscal relationship throughout all of the nations. That is the desire of the devil and he understands the intent and the purpose of that desire. I would pray this morning that we would understand spiritually the significance of this. All right, so this is not some mystical fairy tale uh, story that is in the book of Genesis and that we're just supposed to write it off. This is fundamental. It is extremely important as we start in the book of the beginnings in the Bible and understand spiritual intent and the devil's intent. And the Bible says in Genesis 11, this is the Tower of Babel that the people in that world were building. And they wanted to build this, ta- this, this, this city and this tower to heaven for this particular reason. Lest they would be scattered throughout all of the earth. They wanted to be one. They wanted to be united. And in an effort to stay united, they believed if we could create a city and a tower that reached to heaven, then nothing would be able to separate us. We would be able to do whatever we want to do. And that was their desire. And so they build this tower and the Bible says in verse four, they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So that's the intent. That's their desire. God comes down. He sees what they're doing and he scatters them throughout the whole earth. And so since God did that thousands of years ago, the devil has been working now feverishly, if you will, to try to bring that world back together in unity. That's the devil's desire. And he wants to do something because there's something unbeknown to us, but very well known in spiritual realities that a unified people empowered by whatever that spiritual power is can accomplish amazing things. Now we might sit here and read this story in Genesis chapter 11 and think, you know what, that's just nothing but a fairy tale. Or it just simply speaks to how uncivilized and uneducated these people were back then. Because we know today in our modern science and advancement that there's no way you can really build a tower to heaven. There's no way that you can really build a tower that goes way up into the church's atmosphere or even for that much to go out of the atmosphere. It's just absolutely ridiculous. 
And we're better than that and we're smarter than that. And we know that this is just something that we should not even concern ourselves with. I would agree with you had God not stepped down on the earth in that moment and made a significant statement. And if it weren't for the statement of God, I would agree with your logic. And I would just think these people really don't know. But I understand that there is something beyond the people that knows something. And it is the spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist understands that there is an ability to tap into the spiritual world. There's an ability to cross through or cross over or open the door to spiritual realities and spiritual worlds that are certainly accessible to us and we are accessible from them. And so the desire to build a tower was not the desire to build a skyscraper. It was a an ability or a desire in man to somehow develop an occultic practice that would reach into the spiritual world and draw its power from satanic forces because it wanted to be one without God. This is a unity in the occult. And I just want you to understand that. I will refer to that and remind you of this again. The Bible tells us in the last days that the spirit of Antichrist is going to be at work to form that one world religion and people. But this is what God says. He says in verse 7 or or verse 6, the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language. And this, if they begin to do this, then now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. So let us go down and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So I would give it the logic of our modern science today. But because God stepped into the situation and God made a statement, then God now has trumped everything. When God says the people are one and whatever they imagine, they will not be restrained from accomplishing it. There is an ability within a unity of people and an occultic power To accomplish some of the most amazing and marvelous things. Not necessarily good things. And certainly not good things. But the most amazing things in human history can be done from a unified people. Hitler almost took over the world. Because of the demonic occultic power. That was resting within and through that Nazi regime. Atheism throughout the 20th century has butchered and murdered millions, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people to rid itself of everything that does not believe like it believes. You see this throughout human history with wars and cultural wars and everything. It is the aggressiveness of Satan to have one people. He doesn't need the numbers of people. He just needs the one people that he can empower and do things through and with. And I just want you to understand that. The marvelous thing, if you will, or the amazing thing, if you will, the people in the book of Genesis were believers. They actually bought into this and they believed it. They believed that they could build this city and this tower and then whatever they imagined they would be able to do. They actually thought the possibilities of that were there. Through occultic power and spiritual worlds, they would be able to accomplish phenomenal feats in the earth and defy God and perhaps even try to overcome God, which is what's going to happen at the end of the age when this demonic conspiracy and this satanic power that is going to actually try to overthrow God. But Jesus will return and Jesus will establish his rule on the earth and his glory will fill the earth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want you to read this with me. This is very important that you get this. This This is for believers. This is not for the lost, what we're about to read. Sometimes you might read this and think this is speaking to lost people, but it's not. It's speaking to Christians. It's speaking to believers, those born of God. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and please follow with me. Verse 11 says, for what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. 
Even so, the things of God knows no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Very simple, if you would understand this in verse 12. You cannot and you will not know God apart from the Spirit of God. You can read your Bibles, learn a lot of information, but apart from the Spirit of God, you will not know God. Carla's confession is she grew up Baptist and she received the baptism in the Holy Spirit at LSU. Her testimony is that moment when she started to read the Bible, it was like Jesus would jump off the pages. She would learn, she would see so much of God that she had never seen before because that's the Spirit's revelation. So I want you to see that. You can't know God apart from the Spirit of God. And we have received the Spirit of God. Verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches. Because man thinks the Tower of Babel is ridiculous. And man thinks that there are practices within the house of God that are ridiculous. And therefore, man and his logic is not about to stoop to that level of foolishness because it just doesn't make sense. And so I want you to see that again in verse 13. The things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, For they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That's not talking about a lost person. That's talking about believers who are trying to operate in their natural intellect. Their natural wisdom. If you as a believer are not filled with the Holy Spirit. And allow yourself to be taught spiritual things by the Holy Spirit then you will laugh at the things the Holy Spirit wants to do. And you will attribute the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do as foolishness, and you will never stoop to that level to find yourself doing them. Speaking in tongues is one of them. There are people that think that speaking in tongues is absolutely foolish and the silliest thing that anybody could ever do. And there's no way that God would actually do that in somebody's life. And so you think that's foolish, but it's spiritual and the Holy Spirit has written it in his word. They're spiritually discerned. Verse 14 says, but he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And I, brothers, could not speak to you as spiritual, but as to carnal, even as to babes in Christ. So this is the proof that he's talking about Christians, believers, who are carnal, and they're unable to understand or receive spiritual things. And it is very possible that our churches can be filled with carnal believers Who have an attitude towards the things of the spirit as though they are foolishness. The people at the Tower of Babel did not think it was foolish for them to follow this desire or this goal to build a city and a tower. There was something in them, a faith in them towards the occult that believed that they could do it and believed if they did it, then there would be untold power available to them. They believed that. And so today we would call them silly. But today in the church of Jesus Christ, there are many things that God wants to do. He wants to do in his church and he wants to do through his church. But he is unable to do it because of the lack of unity in the people of God. Just as the devil wants to have a unified people, Jesus Christ wants to have a unified people. Because Jesus also would declare, and and listen, the Bible says in, in Genesis 11, whatever the people imagined they would be able to do it. Well, the Bible says about Christian believers that if, if we were unified and the power of the Holy Spirit was what we operated in, that God would do beyond what we could think or imagine. <clears throat> and I wonder sometimes what is the great hindrance of the Holy Spirit in the earth today? 
What are the intentions of God in the earth today? What is the hindrance from God being able to do those things? And we know that there's no hindrance in this world that can stop the Holy Spirit. The only thing that will hinder the Holy Spirit is a church that grieves him or a church that quenches him or a church that resists him. And a lot of times that happens within believers because we think that the spiritual things of the Holy Spirit are foolish and they're silly. And we don't invest ourselves in these things. And I want you to listen because I'm going there. I'm going somewhere with this. We think altars are foolish. That there's no power in that altar. It doesn't matter. I don't have to go up front. I don't have to be there. Choirs of praise are foolish. And it's foolishness. Laying our hands on the sick is foolishness. That God could use me is foolishness. And therefore, because we're carnal and we're not spiritual, the things of God and the things of the Spirit are silly to us, even though God has written them in His Word. And God has come to a place in His Word. God has literally had to beg us to worship Him. Amazing. Because God knows what he wants to do. But to get the people of God to do it. Demands that the people of God have to be spiritual. And to be spiritual you have to be filled with and walk in the Holy Spirit. But that takes too much effort. That takes too much relationship. You know. It's easier to read my Bible than it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is a relationship. And relationships take a lot of work. And relationships take a lot of sacrifice. And I could skim through my Bible on any given day. Maybe read it at a red light. But the Holy Spirit and a relationship with Him. That, that, that cost a whole lot more. So I ask you this morning. Are the things of God foolishness to you? Are they foolishness to you? And I'm not asking in regards to you saying yes or no. I would ask you to answer that question with the state and the condition of your life and your faith practice. Your faith practice. Not what you say you know, not what you say you believe, not what you say you believe in, but your faith practice of God on a day-to-day basis. When people can see you and when people don't see you. Do you believe that the things of God are foolish or do you believe that they're powerful? The devil knows this. He's been constantly trying to get people back into unity. In Genesis 11, God disrupted that. It never changed the devil's strategy. The devil just had to work harder to somehow bridge the language gap and the cultural gap and the racial gap that was thrown into the mix as a result of this confusion that God brought down to man. Daniel chapter 3 If you will turn here with me, please, and read this. This is a familiar story, but there's an element here that I want to focus on that we would not normally focus on this morning. In Daniel, right after the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 3, you read about an image that Nebuchadnezzar had built, and he set it up in a Babylonian plain. And he brought all of his chief leaders and, and judges and, and officials out into this valley along with the other people of his kingdom. <clears throat> and there was a command given and the command is this in verse 7, or I'm sorry, verse 4. A herald, somebody, a spokesman for the king cried aloud and he said, listen to this. Because how many of you know that Nebuchadnezzar was a demon-possessed king? He had to be broken of that. And how many of you know that the image that he built was a demonic image? And so this herald cries and he says in verse 4, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Notice these words. You fall down and you worship. Passive observation does not cut it with Satan. I do not give you the liberty to be in the crowd. When you hear the music, fall down, worship me. If you don't, I will kill you. 
That has been going on in every generation of mankind. The devil is doing everything he can to eliminate everyone who will not worship him. That's the globalist agenda today. Eliminate everyone that will not bow. Because we have to be one. If the spiritual demonic occult is to have its power in the earth, we have to be one. And the reason that's going to happen is because the Lord's going to rapture his church. It's not because we bow. And so he says in verse 9, you fall down and you worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has made. In verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship shall that same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Verse 7, what do the people do? They hear the sound of the music and all the people... Fall down and worship the golden image. Everybody but three men. Verse 12, these three men are being reported. And they say, there are certain Jews you've set over your affairs. They have not regarded you. They They don't serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar is overcome with a fit of rage. There is fury in him. This is demonic. This is very demonic. And the demonic in Nebuchadnezzar is in a fit of a rage. Because these people will not worship and serve his gods. Verse 15. Now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the music. Then you fall down and you worship the image that I've made. But if you worship not, you will be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And verse 18, we will not serve your gods nor worship. And Nebuchadnezzar in verse 19 was full of fury. That was the fury in Hitler. That was the fury in Stalin. That was the fury in most atheistic regimes and Marxist regimes that rose up to try to impose its demonic will over the people and refuse to give them the right to worship God in freedom and in liberty. And we will kill you if you disagree with us. We will remove you. We will stop you. This is our way and you're going to walk in it. And if you don't walk in it, we are going to oppress you. People, wake up. This is not Nebuchadnezzar's vision. This is Satan's vision. And that's what he's doing in the end of the age. And we know from the scriptures he's going to do this in the end of the age. There's going to be one man possessed of Satan who is the Antichrist. And he's going to bring the world together. And he's going to kill anyone who doesn't comply. And if you don't receive the mark in your head or your forehead, you're going to die. He's going to get rid of everything because we have to overthrow Jesus Christ who's about to come back. And he knows that. And we need the satanic power and we need the satanic spirit in our life if we're going to do it. So when you open your eyes to the world and you see what's going on in our world, don't just think about governments and men and political parties. There's two kingdoms, Satan's and God's, that are marching across the history of time. And nothing will overthrow God. But sometimes there are great things that hinder what God wants to do. And all I say to you is this, that the laws do not believe that the ways of Satan are silly. The lost have great admiration and respect and they're proud of how they get to represent Satan. And they're not ashamed of it at all. You go out to the beach and people play their music as loud as they can play it. You're a Christian, you go out to the beach and you put your Christian music on just so you can hear it because you will be an offense to everyone else that's around you. Because there's an offense in us towards the God that we love. And this God has been restrained within the believers. And I I just say it's time to let him out. It's time to let him go. And do the things he wants to do in the world. So I'm going to Romans. And you can turn there with me. And I'm going to stay here 
for the rest of the day. Well, not the rest of the day, the rest of this message. It's amazing thing that in Romans 1, Paul begins with the lack of worship and attributes the collapse of the society. He contributes the society's collapse to a lack of believers worshiping God. We don't. Because we don't value worship that much. It's just part of our Christian exercise. But we don't value it on a day-to-day basis. We bow to a lot of gods in this world today. When these three men refused to bow to that God and they were united, just three men united in God, throw us into your fire. Maybe we'll die. Maybe we won't. But we're not bowing to your God. They brought a national revival. What looked like a lost nation and a pagan takeover with these false gods that the whole country is now worshiping. In probably less than 30 minutes, a national revival broke out and the king made a declaration that their God is the God. Wow. Could it change that quick in America? Yeah. That's the testimony of Jesus. It can change that quick. Will it change that quick? Probably not. Because most Christians are carnal and they think it's silly to do the exercises of faith that the Spirit calls for. So we will continue on our way and we will watch our society decay and we will watch it grow in crime and murder and human trafficking and everything else that you could possibly imagine because the Christians are not taking God seriously enough to believe. Wow, do you mean it could be that simple and America could be saved? Well, Paul thinks so. History shows that it's so. So in Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about the lack of worship and cultural decay. And in Romans chapter 12, and the Holy Spirit's the author of the Bible, right? So in Romans chapter 12, Paul is literally on his knees begging believers to worship God. Please, please, I beg you, why did you read my first chapter? I beg you, by the mercy of God, I beg you, present yourselves as living sacrifices. This is your reasonable worship. I beg you, the Holy Spirit, begging believers to worship him. What a tragedy. Now, I know that's not the case of any of us here. So we're just going to rally together and pat each other on the back so we can go encourage the church in Baton Rouge to worship God, right? No, let it convict. Let it convict. Because really the solution is simple in the hands of God. There's a simplicity in Christ. Oh, if we're going to reach America, then we've got to climb the highest mountain backwards and we have to eat rotten food and we have to do this and we have to do that. If we're, no, there's a simplicity in Christ that can recover everything, possibly even before you leave church today. That's silly. I don't think it is. So in Romans 1, there are four refusals of man. And this is the believer. And it's a downward spiral. Four refusals of man. Four refusals from the believer. The first is in verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God Neither were thankful. That's the first refusal. I know God. But I'm not going to glorify him. And I'm not going to thank him. And you know what? You don't have to. But what's the consequence of not doing that? 
What is the consequence? Because you can't remain the same. And you're certainly not going to improve your life by doing that. So when a believer refuses to glorify God and thank God, the first consequence that we find is this. They become vain in their minds, their hearts are darkened, and they go around proclaiming themselves to be wise when they're actually the fools. That's the consequence. Their hearts are darkened. They draw near to God with their mouths. Their hearts are far from him. There's no passion, no animating love, no burning in the worshiping heart towards God. The overwhelming majority of people in practically any given church in America worships this way. They draw near to God. Their hearts are not in it. They're probably very tired because they stayed up late on a Saturday night to give their best to whatever that was. But not their best to God. And then when we go to church, we have to somehow keep ourselves awake because we really don't want to be there. We don't like to be there. We certainly hope it's not going to be a long time. But we can stay a long time at a ball game. We can stay a long time in a movie theater. We can stay a long time at things like that. Why can't we stay a long time with church? Because God is not interesting. You see people, you see preachers, but God, you just miss him. He was right there. You just missed him. He's just like, boom, he's, he was there for you, but you're not aware of him. It's carnal, carnally minded. That's the first declension. The overwhelming majority in people around America and Europe are worshiping God like this on any given day. And the tragic consequences, despair and anguish, nightmares, unbearable burdens, darkness. This leads to gross deception. The deception of pride where they think themselves to be wise when they're actually fools. Anybody who can convince themselves that they don't need to glorify God or thank God and not in your way, in this way. You have made yourself smarter than God. And you're the fool, not God. But we think we know better. I don't have to go to the altar. I don't have to worship God. I don't have to praise God. I don't have to lift my hands. I don't have to speak in tongues. I don't have. We made ourselves wiser than God. All because we've refused to glorify God and thank God. And no wonder the numbers of believers in America are spending the same amount of money and taking the same amount of drugs. And stimulants and uppers as people in our world and our culture that do not know God. There's a constant battle of depression in believers today. There are believers today who are tormented with troubling thoughts. Who live in fear. Absolute fear. Absolute tragedy. Expecting the very worst things to happen in their life. This refusal to glorify and thank God leads to the second refusal. Which brings a greater consequence to it. The second refusal of man is the refusal to keep God holy. You see, if we, if we make the first refusal that I'm not going to glorify God and I'm not going to thank God, then in order for me to carry that through, I can't believe in a God that the Bible portrays. Because if I believe in the Bible, God, then I have to worship that God and thank that God and glorify that God. So if I'm going to spend the bulk of my week or some of my days not worshiping God, not glorifying God, not thanking God, I have to change him from his uncorruptible image into an image more like myself. And so now we profess ourselves to be wise when we're fools. We've changed the image of the uncorruptible God into the image of corruptible men. And we go around and we say things like this today. If I were God. We don't like the way that our life is. We don't like the pain that's in our life. We don't like the darkness that's in our life. We don't like the struggles that are in our life. But we see no way out of it. And not even God's going to get me out of this. We're depressed. We're in despair. And the God of the Bible has been changed to a God much like us. Who is totally unprofitable. To the problems that we're dealing with in life. So I need a new psychologist or a psychiatrist. And I need a new drug. Because I'm not going to make it. 
I'm just not going to make it this way. And the, and the cycle and the peril continues. We've reduced God in our own eyes. And that is the reason why so many Christians today are full of despair and full of defeat. They do not believe in a God who can help them. If they did believe in the God who could help them, they would be thankful and they would be glorifying him as such. But this is not the God who can help. So we change him and we make him like us. And whoever is going to change, listen to me, whoever is going to change the image of the uncorruptible God. Then they will have no hesitation of changing that image of him in man. Because there's no regard for the image of God. And that's why in America we've aborted probably over 100 million babies. Thank God it's being reversed today. But for a lot of children, the image of God was not allowed to be expressed or seen in the earth. And so if we're willing to change the image of the uncorruptible God, we'll have no problems degrading God's image within man. And the tragic consequence of this is, and I just want you to read it, verse 23, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, birds, four-footing beasts, and creeping things. So what's the consequence? God gives them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Rampant immorality. Rampant immorality. America leads the nation or or the world in immorality. And the industry of immorality. Could sexual perversion possibly be the result of believers refusing to glorify and thank God? That's silly. But the Bible says it's so. It's not silly to me. It's not silly to you. The Bible says it's so. And then after we change the image of the uncorruptible God, the, f- the third refusal of man is, I'm not going to worship him. Why worship a God like this? He's no better than me. He doesn't help me out. I suffer in life. I've got pains. I've got heartache. I trusted in God. I thought he was going to be there for me. But you know what? I'm having a harder time at it than people that don't even know God. So why even do this? Why even serve the Lord this way? Verse 25. They changed the truth of God into a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Who is blessed forever. When they refuse to keep God holy. They will refuse to keep his word holy. And they will refuse to worship him. Once a man refuses to keep God holy, he will not keep God's word holy. They will twist the truth of God to accommodate their perversions and their lust. Instead of worshiping God, they will worship themselves. Many leading denominations today are compromising to the woke culture. They are changing God's truth into a lie. Many churches and preachers today are too ashamed of God's truth to preach it lest they offend. I can feel the pressure just preaching this message. I can feel the kickback just preaching this. But we change God's truth. And we don't worship God. Because we've changed him. And he's not the God of the Bible. He's not the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And his word is not worth keeping true. Let's compromise it to get along with people. And God's not worth suffering for. And God's not worth going to prison for. And so when the woke culture says that we have to accept this and we have to accept that and we have to have accept homosexuality or trans or all of these gender neutral things, then let's just jump on board with that and let's accept it all because God's not worth suffering for. And when it strikes the pulpits, then it's already been in the people because the people produce the pulpits. And it's not the reverse. And so it's very important for us to understand this, that we cannot accommodate a woke culture and accommodate the God of the Bible. 
You have to live for God and you have to accommodate God. And so what is the tragic reversal of this? When we change God's word and his truth into a line, we refuse to worship him. Then the consequence of this, if you'll read this with me in verse 26 and 27. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly. I'm sorry, guys. That's homosexuality. It's lesbianism. I'm, I know you, you may not like that, but that's the word of God. And that's the gospel I'm here to preach. And, and, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. You know what that means? That recompense of that error, receiving in themselves. We're talking about incurable diseases that scientists and doctors do not know how to cure. That have run rampant over our society and our generation globally. And now this new monkeypox fear that is going around now. HIV. Sexually transmitted diseases that still have no cure. Because God said it. When you pervert me, when you, when you refuse to glorify me and thank me for who I am, then you're going to change who I am. And when you change who I am, you're going to change my truth. And you're not going to worship me anymore. And I'm going to have to turn you over to your lust, which will burn inside of you. A man burning for a man, a woman burning for a woman. This is not the natural use that I created you for, says the Lord. But if you don't know my image and who I am, why should you regard my image in humanity? And so God gives us over. Why does he give us over? He's trying to redeem us from all of this. He's trying to turn us back to him. And then the last thing is this. The last refusal is I don't even want to think about God. Don't even want to think about him. I don't want to hear messages like this. I don't want to hear, I don't, I don't want to hear things like this. I want to feel good about myself. LSU won. I just want to go. I want to feel good. I want to go eat. I want to, you know, just pull from my other team today. Just do my church thing. Well, you're in the wrong place today. Verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. I don't even want to keep God in my mind. But why would you want to keep a God like this in your mind? A God whose truth is not truth. A God who's not worthy of worship. A God that is changed into a God much like you are. Your image of birds and beasts and four-footed things. And not worthy of thanking and not worthy of glorifying. I don't want to think about a God like that. It's a waste of my time to think about a God like that. And besides, if I have really changed the God of this Bible... In my own thinking and in my own regard. And I've changed him from an uncorruptible God into an image of corruptible men like myself. And I've changed his truth into a lie. And if I have refused to worship him, please don't come talk to me about God. I'm terrified to talk about it. He might strike me dead. I'm not living right. Right? So who wants to talk about this God? I've got more people in the world asking me questions about the society that we're living in right now and what's about to happen and when is Jesus Christ coming back and you try to talk to Christians about that and say, I don't want to talk about that stuff. Don't talk to me about that. I I don't want to talk about my sin. I I don't want you to come preach to me. Have you ever heard that? I don't want you to preach to me. Why not? It's through the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. Uh, so, so we're supposed to preach to one another. I'm supposed to preach to myself. If you're not around to preach to me, you know, and so I want to think about God. I want to talk about God. I want to be around people who want to talk about God, because when I'm talking about God and I'm around people who want to talk about God, then it assures me I'm around people who still believe that his truth is truth. He's still worthy of worship. He's still the uncorruptible God who deserves glory and thanksgiving. And I want to be around people like that. We need churches like that. And if people could unify like that, like the three men in a burning, fiery furnace, maybe a revival would break out in America. Because it's not going to happen through politics. And it's not going to happen through committees. It's going to happen through the power of God coming upon a people who are unified to worship this holy God. The way he deserves to be worshipped. And he spelled it out in his Bible how to worship him. 
He spelled it out. And when you read the Bible on how to worship him, just read Revelation 5 and go through chapter 8 and look how they're worshiping God in heaven and ask yourself, is that the way I'm worshiping God on earth? And if it's not, repent. Just repent and, and put God back high and lofty as he is and worship God in the power of his Holy Spirit. And if people think it's foolish, let them think it's foolish. They do not have spiritual revelation in it. But maybe they will. Maybe they will. Maybe it would all turn around. And so this, this, this infection of disease, these pandemics, is this not the condition of America? I just ask you this. If you were to read Romans 1 and you would read from verses 21 through the end of the chapter, does this not describe the United States of America? As far as the give-ups of God or the consequences of men refusing to worship Him as God, does, is this not plaguing our land? Is this not plaguing society? Is there not a heart in us to be able to go and rescue people who are mutilating their bodies and three-year-olds and four-year-olds who are being mutilated in their sexual organs? And, and there's such an increased number of people now who are committing suicide and attempting suicide because they thought this was going to be the answer for their life and they found out instead of it being the answer of my life, it has left me more empty, it has left me more destroyed and I don't want to live anymore. Where's the gospel of Jesus Christ to save those people? Where are the speakers of truth, the people of truth, the people of God, the people of the kingdom that says here's the answer for your life? Where are they? Where are they? We just step over the dead. We step over the dying because we know that they're dying because they don't have the truth of God. And the church is so scared to talk about the truth because somebody might be offended. Let's end all doubt. You speak for God and speak his word. People are going to be offended. But it's better to offend men and not God. It's worse to offend God to peace men. And so what's the solution? And the title of this message is, Can It Be That Simple? Well, certainly God did not put the solution to a a nation's pandemics and a nation's immorality and a nation's destruction. He did not put the solution in the hands of the heathens or the lost. Even dating back into the Old Testament times when the Chronicles were written, what does God say about a nation in destruction? If, 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 if my people will humble themselves. And that's all Paul is saying in Romans one. Are you tired of the way America's going? Are you tired of the way you're going? Are you tired of your defeat and your depression and your nightmares and your struggles and your world falling apart, your family falling apart, your life falling apart? Pastor Lee, can it be that simple? Yeah. Absolutely. But you may think it's silly. And I can't help that. I know it's not silly to me. I know it's not silly to countless others. Who just say, you know what, I'm going to put my faith. In the word of God. I'm going to put my faith in the Lord. And I'm, I'm going to let. The Bible tell me who God is. And I'm going to let the Bible tell me how God wants me to approach him. And how God wants me to worship him. And how God wants me to serve him. And I'm going to let the Bible tell me that. And I'm going to let the Bible talk to me about this wonderful Holy Spirit. Who's going to show me Jesus and show me the Father. And I'm going to walk with him and his truth. And I'm not going to be a rule to myself and I'm just going to believe it. And then I'm going to pray as I read the word of God and I see these things that God desires. And I'm just going to begin to pray. Oh, God, do that in me. Oh, God, please let me worship you like that. Holy Spirit, please direct me and lead me and give me the grace to be a worshiper. Give me the grace to be somebody who can walk in a generation of people that seem to be turning against you. Let me walk toward you. 
Oh God, please let me remain true to your word. Let me believe that you are the uncorruptible God. Let me give you thanks. Let me glorify you every moment of my life. Let me rejoice in you for this is the will of God concerning me. Let me be thankful, God, in everything for this is your will in concerning me. Oh God, help me. And could it be that simple that if believers just began to thank God again and glorify God again. I, I know this message is tough. But it's the truth. I've done nothing but read Bible with you and just give some explanations. So you can study it yourself. Is this what will save America? Can it be that simple? Is this what will save my family? Is this what will save my life? Is this what will end the nightmares? Is this what will end the depression? Is it really that simple? It has to be. It's the simplicity of Christ. But it takes a spiritual discernment. Because if you sit there in your logic and try to understand it, it'll never be your practice. But if you say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I have received the Spirit of God and I want Him to teach me. And I want Him to make me. Then I believe, yes. I believe a church that returns to God with thanksgiving and glory and worship will transform the society. And as tragic as it is that I've had to preach to you today, I am so grateful that regardless of how we got here in America, the solution is simple. I'm so thankful for that. Stand with me. Would you just begin by laying your heart before the Lord? Would you just let the Holy Spirit be your teacher? Maybe you would even just come into these altars and say, Lord, I just, I just feel it silly. But come talk to God about it. And then get into the word of God and study it. Study what God says. Sit before the Holy Spirit with the word of God open and let him talk to you and let him teach you. What could happen? What could happen if his people were one? What could happen if we were worshiping him and we were praising him and we were thanking him and we were glorifying him? Three men in a pagan nation under the orders of death brought revival to an entire nation in one day because God came to them and the nation saw it. Come to us, God. Come to us, Lord. How many of you want Him? How many of you desire Him? Just open your heart to Him. Open your heart to him. There are people in this world that are caught in the corruption. They're caught in the nightmares of life. And God wants to use you to set them free. Give them liberty. Heal them. See them delivered. Their broken hearts mended. You're his hands and his feet. Let him use you. Let him use you.